Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers, what the fuck buddies, what the fucking ears, what the fuck nicks, what the fucking avians, what the fucking ucks? Because I am close to Canada. This is Mark Marin. This is my show, WTF. Welcome to it. Today on the show, independent filmmaker Joe Swanberg, the amazing Joe Swanberg, who I couldn't be more excited to have on the show. Uh, his recent films include Drinking Buddies and Happy Christmas. Uh, that one with Anna Kendrick and Lena Dunham. I thought it was a, a stunning movie. I've watched several of his movies, and, and I, I, I love them all. This is true independent filmmaking at truly a, a, a low budget. And this guy does whatever he wants, and he's got a great sense of, of cinema and a great sense of, uh, of uh, aesthetic as, a, as an artist. He shot his last film on 16-millimeter film as a choice. Love it. Love him. Great conversation. Uh, those, you know, those movies that I mentioned are available on Netflix, but Joe Swanberg and I will talk shortly. Uh, I, I know it sounds a little different. I am currently uh, sitting at the window in a hotel room in Rochester, New York. I'm at a Holiday Inn Express, uh, classy, I'm overlooking a, a bank. It's Saturday, so that bank is closed. There's a parking lot. I'm sort of in a, not really a strip mall situation, but it is a, a more, I don't know if it's, in, if it's an industrial situation, but it's certainly, I'm, I'm uh, sitting here sort of catty corner to a small mall with a Red Robin. There's a mobile gas station with a Dunkin' Donuts within it just across the street. And as you know, have not been drinking coffee lately, but when in the East, I will do as Easterners do. I will drink the Dunkin' Donuts coffee. And that combined with Sudafed, the good kind that you get behind the counter. So the Dunkin' Donuts and the Sudafed have given me somewhat of a, a crack-like buzz without all the sweating and bad smells. Uh, I don't consider this uh, a relapse in any way. I do have a horrendous cold, and I am entitled to caffeine as an American. So that's what I'm doing. I'm wearing sunglasses in my room, looking outside at, a, at the clouds breaking apart. It's very exciting to be in Rochester or upstate New York at this time where the people are coming out of their caves for the first time in four months. I am very happy I do not live in a part of the country where, where seasonally you are pushed to the limit and you may kill yourself or your family. That's an, those things are, are, are thought of and those things become options when winter is as oppressive as it has been for uh, much of the East Coast this year. Uh, my heart goes out to them. I am empathetic, but I am glad I'm, I'm here. Like the sun is shining in and there's still some snow thawing. So I'm getting a little taste of winter just enough. 
but I do miss the winter. I actually miss digging my car out of the snow. I miss fighting the authorities because you're not allowed to park on the street during a snow emergency, but yet your car is buried and you have to unearth it. You have to unbury it. You have to, to, to find your car within the snowbank to try to move it so you don't get cited for, for being part of the snow emergency, although being parked there is illegal. The little things I miss about the East Coast. Uh, so I'm doing warm-up shows, though they are not booked as that. I'm just booked here at the club, at the Comedy Club. The proprietor here, uh, Mark, is uh, tremendously proud of his club. This is a, a genuine comedy club, folks, up here in Rochester. It is a, 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 a box of a room, not much on the wall, and uh, it, is, it is spectacular. It, it's just uh, it's the raw goods. It's the real deal. And um, uh, Mark Eppolito, the dude that, uh, that manages the place, is very proud of it. A lot of guys and uh, women come up here to do the stand-up, and it's got sort of a reputation as being a, a stand-up, stand-up comedy room. And there aren't that many in the country anymore. You know, when you have corporate-run comedy clubs, to sort of play a, 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 a real <laughs> gritty comedy club, you know, it's not, it's not as... Uh, it, it's, it's, it's appreciated. It's a great room, and the guy runs a great room. We had great shows last night. We're doing the shows tonight. But I, I'm just here. I'm just here in Rochester. And I'll be honest with you. I have never been in a part of the country where I have no compulsion whatsoever to the regional cuisine. Like, usually I look at it as an excuse to eat badly whenever I'm in a part of any part of the country that offers up anything unique. But really, the only thing they have up here that they're proud of I mean, I'm not in Buffalo, I'm in Rochester. So what you have here are, are these things called garbage plates. And I think I might have discussed them. I, there's some sort of holdover from the Depression era, but it's just a plate of horrendous food. And even when people, even local people, like yeah, all the, all the, like there's this place called Nick Tahoe Hots. And for some reason, I think it has the Hots name has something to do maybe with, uh, with the hot dogs or links or whatever, but every restaurant, every other greasy spoon in this area has the word hots on it. There's Empire Hots, there's Joe's Hots, there's Frank Hots, there's Jimmy's Hots, and whatever. It's all hots. But the garbage plate, I'll just read directly from Wiki and then sort of go into what I experienced last night. The garbage plate is a combination of two selections of cheeseburger, hamburger, red hots, white hots, Italian sausage, chicken tender, fish, fried ham, grilled cheese, or eggs, and two sides of either home fries, french fries, baked beans, or macaroni salad. On top of that are options of mustard, ladled on, onions, ladled on, or a proprietary hot sauce with spices and slowly simmered ground beef. So it's pulverized ground beef made viscous into a sauce with spices in it that they dump over and they serve throw a piece of bread on the side. Now, did any of that sound good to you? I mean, it sounds good if you want, maybe if you're, uh, you haven't eaten in days or food is, uh, is, is sparse or if you're completely shit-faced and you just need to carb the fuck out. But people, I was sitting with uh, Mark and a few of the people that work at the club last night because I wanted to get something to eat and they're like, you get a plate, get a garbage plate over at uh, whatever hot's. And they're trying to explain to me what a garbage plate is because you, you, you sort of have your own plate. When you grow up here, you know what you want. Either you get, the, you get the hamburger patties or you get the links and you get the max out and the baked beans that are served cold and the uh, potatoes, the home fries, and just ladle on this, these simmered onions, ladle on the mustard, ladle on that fucking hot sauce. And they're describing it to me. And I'm like, there's no part of me 
that that is going to eat that. Where's the art in it? It's not like barbecue. It's just like it's just shit food stacked up and then covered with goo. And I just couldn't deal with it. And then all of them were like, and you're going to get diarrhea. There's like, that's just part of it. That's part of the experience. Like, you'll eat this. You'll have the shits tomorrow. But, you know, and I'm like, then why do you eat it? Like, well, for us, for me, one guy says it's worth it. It's worth it to eat that. So you grow up with something. There's no end to what you'll put up with coming out of your ass just to justify that nostalgia, that comfort of of eating just a plate of shit that you grew up with. Now, I don't want to be condescending. I don't want to be rude to people who enjoy a nice garbage plate. Look, I'm sure this, but this is the type of food where it's like, there is no high end. There's no one that's like, there's no gourmet garbage plate. Do you know what I'm saying? But uh, who knows? You know, tonight, my entire attitude may change. Uh, I may be, you know, coming at you next Thursday with a, a celebration of garbage plates. Uh, in, 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 who knows? Who knows? It's, it's all possible. I tell you, man, every time I've been to New York, the last five or six times, it's just been shit weather. And I just, I, I, all I'm looking forward to is I'm going to New York and all I'm looking forward to is taking a walk four blocks of Veselka and having a bowl of hot borscht like an old Jew. That's, that's what I do when I go to New York. I'm like, I need to go someplace where, I, where I'm comfortable, where I have some comfort food. I don't even want to go to the comedy cellar. I don't even want to do, I, I don't even want to do anything. I'm going to go. I got some meetings I got to do. And I'm going to have these four shows here. What do I got to go bust my ass for and you know, go do a 15-minute 15 15 set in New York for? I could. Does that mean that I'm getting old? Does that mean I don't give a shit anymore? Folks, let me be honest with you. I don't know what the magic number is, but I'm telling you, man, if I hit it, if I hit the magic number, if I win the lottery, or I hit the magic number of fuck you money, uh, I'm not one of these people that's going to hang around and keep coming back, keep coming back to prove that I still got whatever it is that I have. If I hit the magic number or I, or I, or I make it to, the, to fuck you money land, I'm going to take a trip, perhaps forever. I have this fantasy where I just throw my phone into the river, whatever river, perhaps the ocean, just throw my computer away and just you know walk off and just like park my car along the side of the road and and have a, a bag with a with a few uh, legal pads and a couple of the pens I like and and I just I just head out. Perhaps I should bring some supplies because I imagine I'd be abandoning my house as well. Perhaps maybe a sweeping bag and a tent that 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 accommodates one or two people. And I maybe one of those little uh, burners where I can boil water on and make soup. And I'll just have that and, and the knowledge that I have some money saved. And that's, that's what I'll do. I'll be, a, I'll be a hobo just by virtue of the fact that I have no idea what to do with myself. But I know I don't want to do anything anymore. Is there any shame in that? Don't freak out. It's not happening tomorrow. That was just a fantasy. Isn't that pathetic? That's a fantasy. Is this like walking away from everything that, that defines a responsible life and, uh, and just having a, a, a traveling um, kerosene burner or a little uh, sterno burner that I can make some soup in and one of those ridiculous pots that you can snap shut and eat out of and also cook in? That's my big fantasy. How can anyone get in touch with Mark Marin? I don't know. You better check the trails. Look at the little books where you sign in on the trails. I would freak out day one or two. As soon as I saw an animal bigger than me, that, it, that trip would be over. So I did the uh, Brother Wee show up here, you know. Brother Wee's is uh, 
One of the powerful dinosaurs of uh, morning drive time radio going back a couple of decades, maybe almost three decades. One of the originals, uh, the Brother Weeze show. I'd never gone in and did the one-on-one with Weeze. And uh, he's a classic man, classic radio dude. He's got the pictures from all the different times of him, you know, all the different eras. You know, he's got to be in his 60s. But he's got those pictures of when, you know, partying was fun and hanging out with Joe Walsh and Kennison and my buddy Jimmy Schubert. You kind of it's weird when you know the old uh, the old demons, the old warriors, the the uh, the the guys that lived it who were still around. And you get into that conversation with him. It's like, oh, yeah, that dude. Is he all right? Is that guy still alive? Oh, I didn't make it, huh? Mm hmm. Yeah. That back in the day shit. It's getting more intense as you get older. People are dropping, you know. But Weeze is still alive, and I'd never met him before, and that was a good time. It was a good time. All right, so let's... Uh, I, I really enjoy talking to this guy, Joe Swanberg. I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. I, I just uh, I just found him to be a very earnest, very smart, very unaffected guy that does exactly what he wants to with the medium he has chosen. Why would I find that so compelling? I guess there's a similarity, you know? But... Um, but I like his movies. I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot of movies that are called independent movies, but this guy really does independent movies, and he does them with a, a, a sort of courageous aesthetic. Uh, like, he takes chances, and he kind of pushes the medium a little bit, and, uh, and he's very smart about it. And, and he's the dude who's making the choices, and it was just great to talk to what I would consider a real uh, artist of, of, of cinema, you know, doing it the way he wants to do it, uh, and, and like, it's just rare that I, I, I meet a guy that, uh, that I, I connect with as quickly as I connect with Joe and, 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 and like as much and respect his art. So, so please, uh, enjoy this conversation with me and Joe Swanberg. And also, uh, before we talk to, uh, to Joe, DJ Copley has been doing some bumper music for us. And here's what he did with some of my guitar noodling that he pulled off of the end of one of the WTFs recently. Uh, and and sort of remixed it and put some stuff behind it. He's on Twitter as WebPuppy45 if you want to check out his stuff. But uh, but now we're going to talk to Joe Swanberg. So so enjoy. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts so you you have a well-stocked beer fridge definitely like that's uh if you went into my basement like the fridge has 
Did you shoot? Did you shoot Happy Christmas in your house? Yeah, that's, that's your my house? house. That's my house. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So, that's the basement. Yeah, it's the tiki basement. Yeah, absolutely. And it was like that when you got it. Was it was built by the previous owners. Yeah, we just moved who, in. Who had lived there for how long? Uh, for a long ass time. Like, uh, we bought it from a ninety-one-year-old woman, and her grandparents built it so it's been in that family until because like the tiki thing that's like it's that's amazing. the original tiki craze it's so it's like the 50s first 40s? wave yeah he 40s? was a gi i mean it's that first wave when when they actually like for the first time went to the you know polynesian islands and stuff they were fighting the right. war out there right and then they brought all that stuff home and americanized it in like the kitschiest weirdest and it became popular right definitely the t- and has gone through waves of popularity yeah kind of came back kind of campy in the yeah. 80s yeah it was always sort of like part of the you know the betty page haircut yes they totally <laughs> area totally. Of, of things yeah. yeah yeah there's always yeah. a tiki thing tiki's and pinups yeah right there was also some like you know kind of mondo film stuff around that stuff too right kind of yeah. weird shit yeah so all right so you buy this old house you grew up in Chicago, though, or you didn't? I didn't. I moved around. My dad was an engineer, so I kind of moved like an army kid, even though we weren't military. An engineer? See, I've, had, I've talked to some people who have engineer fathers. Like, what, what does that mean? I mean, what did he do specifically? Well, he worked for a company called Johnson Controls, which is like a big engineering firm. Yeah. I never quite knew. I mean, I think he did a lot of different things. I just, like, knew... He worked for Johnson Controls, and I knew that we moved like every two years. It's very funny so, how many people I talk to. They're like, yeah, they don't know I'm what they're doing. Sure I know totally. <laughs> also, why haven't I ever asked him? It would well, be such right an easy thing. Like, call him this afternoon. And yeah, be like, like let's will get... you just walk me through. Like, wh- what were you doing when we lived in Georgia? What was happening in California? <laughs> what was he? What did you walk into the? Wait, you left the house. Yeah, where'd you go? But you <laughs> don't even know. So weird, right? I know. Maybe so he's CIA or something. But just I like doubt it. Vaguely... It's just, but it's just it also speaks to how like how pathologically selfish we all are. You know, it's for like, sure. That's the guy that shows up and apparently yeah. I have to listen to yeah, him and he, exactly. he brings money. Totally. The like he's the law. He's the man. He's yeah. literally the man. Was he a good guy? For sure. Yeah? Yeah. You seem pretty well adjusted. Yeah. I, I I like when I think about it now and the more people I meet, I had the normalist like most healthy childhood I could imagine. My parents are still married to each other. They're totally in love with each other. Really? Uh, I have two younger brothers. We always were fine. You know, yeah. I mean, it was just like really, I'm, I'm like super well adjusted to whatever being an American is. Yeah. I'm sure in other places I would be weird, but like for living here right now, <laughs> I'm like straight down the middle, baby. I'm totally a normal guy. <laughs> but I wouldn't, I don't know what that means. Like if you went to some other place as a well-adjusted American, how people would be like, what is this freak? Well, you know, like I, you know, I probably have like capitalist tendencies that wouldn't like be cool other places. Like well, I'm I an think, American. I think you that's, know, like, I think that's tempered by your career choice. Yeah, maybe. You're- <laughs> But, you know, like, I'm into buying stuff. That oh, would yeah, be okay. cool somewhere sure, else. Sure. Like, I want to own a house. Other cultures are not into, like, private ownership in that kind of way. Like, well, I, I think, yeah, I guess so. But, I mean, but you, it seems like you got a reasonable house. Definitely. It's, like, it's a very... So, like, okay, so what what else did you learn about the history of that house? Um, he, so they did the tiki stuff in the 60s, and then... According to the neighbor, I live next door to like a 70-year-old dude who's who knew them really well. So he's mostly the, who the history is. It's an old working from. class neighborhood. Totally. And yeah. it's still it. I mean, yeah. like the neighbors on both sides are really awesome. They know everything about their house plus my house. Like my wife and I have learned how to be homeowners from our neighbors. Right. Like when I have a problem, 
I can either call my dad who can try and talk me through it on the phone or I can go knock on Ray's door next door and be like, Ray, I don't know what's going on here. Like, there's water all over my back porch and he's like, oh, you probably have a leak under the thing. Yeah. Let's like, I'll go get my stuff. Let's mm-hmm. dig it up. And then I watch him do it. And then the next time I don't need to go knock on his door. I'm like, yeah. okay, cool. Ray showed me how to do that. That, that happens here too. Like awesome, I had this, right? like I had this, like there was a puddle forming in that garden over there. Yeah. And I'm like, it smells bad. Yeah. And and I'm like, and I said to my neighbor who's out there, I'm like, what do you think that is? He's like, I think it's shit water. Yeah. And I'm like, what does that mean? Yeah. Because there's that moment where you realize, like, I, no one's gonna fix this. Doesn't it suck that moment? A little where bit. Like, where you like, I got this is my problem. Bro, right. Somebody now. better fix this. And you're like, no, I don't think anyone's. Gonna. I know. <laughs> yeah, it's such a bummer. You're kind of in charge of that. Yeah, it's but, bad. So you didn't grow up. In, where'd you grow up mostly? I mean, every two years you moved. I would right? say I grew up mostly in Georgia. That was sort of the place during the big formative years for me. Atlanta. Uh, no, Augusta and then Kingsland. Two different times. Augusta, and then I moved to Anniston, Alabama, and then to Kingsland, Georgia. But the South and the Midwest is your sort of backdrop. Yeah, and then and then weirdly there was a two-year period where I lived on an island called Kwajalein, which is in the Pacific Ocean. It's part of the Marshall Islands. Mm-hmm. And that um, was the middle of sixth grade to the middle of eighth grade. And then I moved to Illinois, and I've been in Illinois since then. Kwajalein? Kwajalein, yeah. Well, you don't know what your dad was doing on Kwajalein? Uh, I do. I actually you know, it was only when I was older. I'm not sure what my dad was doing every single day. Yeah. But Johnson Controls, you know, they bid they bid on these military contracts. So right. Johnson Controls won the contract for a two year period where they did all the facilities maintenance and, you know, I'm sure like oversaw the upkeep of the buildings, installing air conditioning systems, like whatever yeah. stuff needed sure. to happen out there. Sure. And then they and then Raytheon underbid them. And then all the Johnson Controls people's moved, and all the Raytheon people moved in. So there's a contractor. Yeah, it's a, like, a, but not not military contracts, but not weaponry. Not weaponry. Right. I don't know. Maybe Johnson Controls does that, but my dad wasn't doing that. And you this know that island. Person. Here's what's up with this island, which I didn't learn until I was an adult. And then I was like, I wonder what I was doing out on Kwajalein for two years. <laughs> uh, they were it? testing the Peacekeeper missiles, so they were firing them from, I believe, Los Angeles like blanks into the atoll Kwajalein is an atoll yeah so it's sort of shaped like a boomerang yeah they were shooting them in there engaging like accuracy and like tracking like how you could have been sitting on the beach watching missiles come in we did we would go like on the days where the missiles were going to come in everyone (laughs) there was only three thousand people on the island everyone on the island would go out to the beach and you'd see like streaks of light and it was like cool splash cool yeah was there a splash too far out oh it's too far out yeah Oh, I guess they yeah. wouldn't want too yeah. close. Yeah. Let's see how accurate. But you it really see, is. like, fi- you know, five of them all lined up perfectly next to each other, like all coming in. That's a uh, crazy. Interesting. Right? I don't know. What you, I wonder what your brain did with that. I don't know how it didn't register for me until I, you know I was in my. But 20s. you remember doing and that? And then I got on Wikipedia and was just like, "What was going on out there?" And then I was Why like, we... "Ooh, that's yeah. the nasty business, man." Right, but you still went out there and saw the show. Definitely. I mean, yeah. as a kid, I was like amazing sure. to go yeah. see missiles. missiles. I didn't think about like. Oh, they're figuring out how to kill people better. Yeah. They're just like, they're honing in. <laughs> to you, it was just like, oh, yeah, cool. It was like cool missiles. Well, it, it's, it, but you didn't find it was tricky for you um, moving all the time, making new it friends? It was very tricky, but it also was like director boot camp. I could not have had an upbringing that would have better prepared me to be for in filmmaking? the film business. How do you figure that? Because my whole childhood was you... M- Move into a new situation. You have to quickly make friends with everybody mm-hmm. who've known each other longer than yeah. you've known them. Right. Uh, you form tight relationships. You 
figure out your thing in that circumstance. What does that mean? It means like, am I uh, the sports guy here? Am I the funniest one? Am I uh, known for eating weird stuff? Like, what's my thing that's going to mean that I can have friends and like be so cool So you're here? willing to go any direction. Well, however it works out. Often yeah. it just happens to you. Yeah. You, you know. You have, you are well referenced in sports and eating weird things and you're witty Or enough. whatever the thing needed to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But don't, I mean, this still happens as an adult. You walk into a group and you sort of like read the room and you're like, okay, cool. What's like. How, how am I going to have a fun time tonight yeah. with this group of am people? Am I going to eat that? This guy's clearly already the one they all think is really funny. So I'm not going to like get in a pissing match funny contest. <laughs> maybe you will, though, a little bit. May, I, maybe. You'll feel it out? It depends. If he's not funny at all, then you're like, oh. I, what if he's a dick? Uh, I tend to like not engage with dicks. Oh, okay. I'm not confrontational in that way. I don't want to like- Not even a side swipe? Like you're not even- I don't think- Somebody has to be really bad. I was at a bachelor party recently and there was a guy that was was just out of control. And in those situations, I can't stay quiet then. And then it got like openly hostile where I was like, dude, you are freaking me the fuck out. Like you're bothering me. (laughs) He was really- uh, very, very drunk and aggressive. Oh. Like, it, it, he was ruining everyone's good time. And oh, I was right. like, I'm not gonna, like, my buddy's getting married. Right, right, right. I'm not gonna let this night go downhill like this. Like, yeah. you need to oh, chill out. you stepped in. Yeah, right, I right. had to. Take a walk, pal. Yeah, he, but, but he, dude, he was so far across the line. Like, it has to get bad. <laughs> Most of the time, I'm just gonna be, like, quietly angry You've that somebody's being You've dealt with drunks before? A, uh, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, we have a lot, we host a lot at my house, so... I'm like getting versed in drunkenness. Like I, I'm starting to like be like a bouncer or something like, you know, it's like now I'm around parties often enough that I'm like, okay, cool. All the warning signs are up. This person's going to, is really fucked up. Right All now. right. So you become a director early on because you had to manage situations and get everybody. I just had to, I, I mean, I think I became a director because I'm like self-centered and think I have good ideas. I mean, I think that's the director thing, but I had to get good moving around a lot growing up. I had to get good at uh, walking into a situation, like making myself comfortable in that situation, forming friendships. But then also like, then I had to move and I had to like not, uh, not, I had to form new friendships. But I so had you to not carry every single friendship. Couldn't I Couldn't be that emotionally invested. Yes. that emotionally invested. In a way, well, no. Here's what I would say. Ideally, what I would say is that I am that emotionally invested. I'm not fake emotionally invested, but also I know it's going to end. Mm. So it's a real investment, but it's also like it's it can't crush me every time I'm. It's moved. like heart hardening a bit. Yeah, in a way, for I, sure. And I think I, I think that being involved with a direct direction or with a film, but not so much. I'm mean, like a long shoot. You do you build love a community. Yeah, you I mean, their community. Yeah, for me, every movie I've ever done, you forget the rest of the world exists. You're like, these are my friends. This is what's funny to us. This is the restaurant we go to every night. Like, this is my life. Yeah. And then the movie ends. And if you're not okay with going and doing that again with a different group of people, you're fucked. I mean, yeah. you'll just be sad the rest of you. You'll be like, <laughs> Your it's life. never going to be that good that, again. That one movie. That was the gang. And like now I, I have to just like recreate that scenario. So in a way it was just like, you know, the baby steps towards like, here's how you totally invest. And then here's how you also accept the end of that. Yeah. And you how have do you do to. that? 
Um, because you seem all you know blown out by the yeah. the fact that you're going to die. That's like the biggest human accomplishment we've ever done is we forget we're going to die. We, we, we're How the, amazing we're, is that? We're the only ones that have that choice, and then so we're just able to want. We have to wander <laughs> around and look for things that mean things. It's the worst. Yeah. Like it, like yeah. this self awareness yeah, and totally. the, the knowing that there's the finish line. It's yeah. sort of like, well, then this has to. <laughs> I have to do something. Yeah. <laughs> something has to mean something. Yeah. I'm in a weird position with that right now about like meaning. Yeah. What but, are you thinking? What's tell me more? Well, well, I'm at, you know, I just turned 51 and I've spent a lot of my life sort of like not acknowledging, you know, you know, knowing you have problems or whatever uh-huh. they are or knowing you're hobbled uh-huh. in a certain uh-huh. way emotionally. Yeah. And then all of a sudden realizing like, well, all right, like I just got this book where I'm reading this book and it's like, it's really giving me a map of what's really going on and what happened. It's a clinical psychology book. Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh, so this makes total sense. So now how do I get at that part of myself that needs to come out and needs to figure out how to live in the world yeah. and find, you know, like literally questions like, I don't know what I enjoy. What do I want to do today? Yeah. Uh, you know, I'll choose panic almost every time. Yeah. Like, I'm just going to sit here and dread doing things. Yeah. And that's a problem because life is short. But it's so cool that you're trying to be a better person, that you're like putting the effort in. I mean, it's like really easy not to, right? I know. Well, it's, it, well, it becomes draining because like once you're onto yourself, it's not so easy not to. When when it's just second nature, you know, after, you know, after a lifetime of people going like, you got to fucking get your shit together Uh or you're an asshole or whatever, (laughs) eventually it's going to be like, oh, maybe I, yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) But, right. But it's anyone's journey. Do you know what I mean? And then you get into that zone where it's sort of like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to fix this. So what can I accept? And who can I find that can also deal with that shit? Yeah. To like be friends and right. like romantic partners with. Right. Like w- when I think about my wife, I, it's amazing to me that she loves me and can like spend that time, with, spend so much time with me. Yeah. What, what, what about you do you think is difficult? Um, a lot of things, man. I definitely, <laughs> I definitely almost always think I have the best idea of how to like handle a situation. <laughs> So you're, you're it doesn't occur to me kind that, of a know I, that, that would be wrong. Right. I think I think I'm uh you know, like I was the kind of kid that like a lot of stuff came pretty quickly too. Yeah. But then also uh I don't I often then don't put in the work to get a, a lot better at that thing. Oh yeah, see it I just have like that was too. pretty quick. I like I figured it out and I was like pretty good at it very quickly, so then I was like the best at it for a while. And then the people who really put in the work to get good at it got way better than me. Or else they stay good. Like the weird yeah. thing is, is like there's some part of the brain, like, like if it's, um, whether it's an art thing or maybe it's a, you know, bowling or whatever, like there's that need to fucking do really well, either to prove to yourself or to prove to others just innately, like I'm going to do this. Yeah. And then you kill it that one time yeah. and then it never comes back and, yeah. and you don't want to put the work in. You're sort of yeah. like, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe I'll, I'll focus that hard yeah. again. Yeah. So, so, you like know, what, I, like what kind of things were you really good at? Uh, well, definitely at school. I mean, I was like, could get good grades and you know, I didn't, I, I like my younger brother, James had to put the work in, didn't come easy to him. Like mm-hmm. if he wanted to get A's at a subject, he really had to work. I could just like get A's at thing. I could like figure out how that thing worked enough You're, to like be okay at it. Right. You could fit, you were able to contextualize. Yeah. I was like, here's how school works. Here's the <laughs> dynamics. Like, this is how a test goes. There's a system to most things, you yeah, know, see, I'm that's bad like at that, man. different. I can't compartmentalize very well unless I have to, like, you know, for secrecy reasons. <laughs> 
Yeah, but when, I can't. When you know sensitive information, sure. Um, but uh, but but it's interesting because like you are the way you are. Like I saw you briefly. I went to a screening of uh, Happy Christmas at the Roxy, like yeah. the last night of that guy. Yeah, 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 totally. Who worked there, Mike Keegan? Yeah, Mike Keegan. I didn't know him, but I walked in just to see the movie yeah. out of nowhere, and we were seeing the showing after you uh -huh. spoke. Uh -huh. But we got there early, and you were on the Skype. Oh, cool. So that was the first time I encountered you. Yeah, cool. you were talking live to other people. And I'm like, this guy seems to be a smart guy. I should probably talk to him. <laughs> talk to that guy. It's nice that I come across that way. I'm happy to hear that. No, you come across so well adjusted and like you've got your head on straight and you know, you come from this nice family, but your movies are, are difficult. I think you have to have a very uh, safe, protective, healthy home life to make difficult artwork. But the thing is, is that the fact that you're so consciously doing artwork is an amazing thing. Like, I don't think anybody's doing independent movies like you do them and, and continuing to do them without really too much of a hint of it, of it's some sort of launching pad. Yeah. I mean, I watched, I haven't seen all of them because you've made like 20 fucking yeah, feature films in what, nine years? Yeah, I've made a lot. But but the the point is is that what you do is not easy to do. It's not easy to balance. It's not easy to make compelling. There's a lyricism and a poetry to it that is specifically art movies. It's, yeah. This is not just indie yeah, movies. Yeah, 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 yeah. You make art movies. Yeah. <laughs> and well, yeah, for sure. I mean, I grew up. Uh, I fell in love with that, and then have like always aspired. Well, what's to your that. theory? My theory in the in the artists that I've known is that if you, there are the people who are making art to be loved by others, who like sort of are lacking, this is very broad. So of course, like everybody doesn't fall easily into one or the other category, okay. but like there's a way if you, if you sort of are feeling a lack of love in your personal life or, or sort of a, uh, a lack of a foundation of love, mm -hmm. I think it's easy to become an artist because it's it's a very quick way to get like love from a bunch of strangers, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if they get it, yeah, or whatever, or you can bend yourself to make them get it. Like I think that you, you know, if that's the path you're on, you can figure out an area where you can find that love uh -huh. from from as a creative person. Yes, yeah. Uh, if you don't need the work to provide love. Then you can make challenging work because you're like I'm in, I'm okay as a person like I have I, I'm married I have a child my parents love me like I'm doing all right I have like a bedrock of stability and love so now the artwork can push people it can challenge people because if they don't like it I'm okay still but if you need them to like it because that's where your love's going to come from I think then you make like could make safe likable or right if you music, need to love movies, but it depends books, how complicated whatever. it are so like the thing is. Like, so if like, if your model is true and you feel stable, but you still have to put some element of passion, your explorations are emotional. So you yes. may not be seeking the love from those, but the challenge you're presenting, uh, I, I just have a hard time completely believing that it comes all from emotional stability. It seems to me that you are working out equations and possibilities emotionally on screen that must be percolating inside you. You can't be that detached. Definitely, I, I am. But but you're not. If well, no. Here's what I would say. Like if if my relationship's in a good place and my wife and I are in a good place, I can make a movie about what it would be like to cheat, right? Yeah. And then I don't have to worry that that movie's going to fuck up my relationship. That can be a conversation my wife and I can be having while I'm making the movie. Right. I can explore uh, treacherous emotional 
territory in a very real way, like in a way that hits close to home. Like, for instance, with Happy Christmas, that's a movie that came out of conversations my wife and I were having after we had a kid where she felt really like uh, stuck, mm-hmm. like trapped at home with that kid. And like she, she had bigger dreams. Well, definitely. She's a, we met in film school. She's a filmmaker also. And like I got to like after the birth of my son, because I could make more money than she could at the time, like it just made sense for our family that, you know, like I kept working. Right. And she stayed home. Practical. And then, you know, we sort of, like, reached the tipping point of that where, like, this isn't cool with me anymore. Like, it can't just keep going this way. And Because I'll, I'll die inside and hate yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. And so that's what that movie's about. It's shot in my house. My son and I are in it. Like, that's a movie. <laughs> Your son was good. Yeah, he's pretty, he's pretty amazing, <laughs> he man. He got some good yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. He's a total sweetheart. <laughs> but, you know, like, that, that movie pushes a lot of buttons, not only for my wife and I, but yeah. for a lot of other people who maybe find themselves in that same position, right? Well, I think that the other thing that movie did, you know, I guess we can work back because that's the most recent movie. Is that the character that Anna Kendrick played, you know, for for even someone my age. How old are you? I'm 33. That's ridiculous. (laughs) It's ridiculous. It feels... uh, You've made 18 movies. It feels old and young at the same time to me right now. Like, I I keep this picture... There's this picture of uh, Robert Altman making Nashville. Yeah. That I I like to keep handy because he's... uh, Maybe he's 50 or maybe he's, like, into his 50s. He looks so playful, and, like, if you look at his career, he's, like, still figuring his shit out. Like, still, like, inventing stuff. Still, like, totally changing the yeah. game and the way movies are made. At Nashville, yeah. Yeah, it's really useful for me to have that around because That's interesting. I, so those even are... though I've made a lot of stuff, like, I don't... I, I mean, the stuff that I've made so far is so... I, I, I hope that the movies get so much better. And, like, I want to definitely make sure that, like, 20 years from now... Uh, I still feel like an amateur, you know, like I still have a spirit where I'm like, cool, let's re- reinvent it every time out. Let's he took not, some like, weird risks. He's amazing, man. He really... Like, like quintets? Not, yeah, he has made very, <laughs> very <laughs> bizarre movies. Uh, yeah, man. And bad ones, too, which yeah. I really like about him. Which Makes ones him do you think are bad? O.C. and Stiggs, I think, is really bad. That was late. That like, seemed like a cash 80s. grab. That's cash like an grab. attempt at making a teen comedy. It's a money sure. thing, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And he shot the player too, didn't he? Yeah, that was tight. Yeah, I mean, it's like really that. Good. It's it's interesting when someone breaks from his own style and says, "I, I can make a regular movie." Yeah, here, here's a regular movie. Yeah, it's like a '90s Hollywood movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but but it was so dark. It was so like yeah, such a nice kick in the balls to the industry. Yeah, definitely. All right. So, but well, okay. Well, that frames something interesting about you is that because you have the facility that he did not have, which is the ability to shoot on cameras in a relatively expensive way, and the compulsion to continue learning and pushing your own creative envelope that the fact that you're 33 it's it's like do you feel like at some point you're gonna be like well i'm gonna get this art shit out of my system and maybe level off on a vision that's a little more palatable to the general population i think that that's happening anyway i mean i I, it's maybe like a a just a getting older thing or maybe it's a being a dad and a husband now but the last couple movies I've made in essentially the same way that I've always been working, and yet they feel more accessible to people. Just Happy because Christmas the themes and are getting and Drinking Buddies, the one before that. Drinking Buddies feels different to me. How does it feel to you? Um, there were moments in it that 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 felt uh, you know kind of 
a little more I don't know if they're mainstreamy because like I you know Ron Livingston you know brings a certain amount of uh, yeah, recognition for sure and and you know the backdrop of the brewery was okay and some of the relationships were okay but it, like for me what really seemed to be most like you was the, the tension of of the friend slash love dynamic yeah, yeah. and that other guy's you know the marriage of the other yeah. people yeah but she the primary character was um this is a difficult character you know i didn't i don't i don't know necessarily at the end of it all that she was ever going to really be able to access her emotions yeah she's in a bad spot i think it's right. a complicated character it just seemed a little i guess so i think i think it was because coming into your work and i know duplass and i've watched yeah. their stuff but the whole movement that you're involved in you know happened after i i was in a you know, I wasn't on the inside of things. Yeah. You know, I I missed Mumblecore. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. So, sure. <laughs> it's not my generation, yeah. so I got to go back. So starting with Happy Christmas and then immediately knowing and hearing you talk about it for 10 minutes before right. I, I got to watch right. the movie. Right, right, That's a crazy context to see a movie. What well, was because... Q&A beforehand. Because, look at... I've never seen that before, ever. The squirrel just climbed down the screen. We just saw a squirrel stomach. From, it must happen a lot. I bet it happens five times a day, and you've just never been never here to witness seen it. it. Never seen it. It's a pretty ingenious way to get around. It just crawled down the screen. I know. Squirrels are amazing, man. They're very versatile. Yeah, I, I barely really pay that much attention to them. And they're around. I, I wouldn't even identify them if someone said, do you have wildlife? It'd be like coyotes, skunks, possums, raccoons. Squirrels wouldn't even make yeah, the list. It's a big, that was a big squirrel. Big. But... but the fact that you shot on 16, like there was something about, for me as an older guy, and like you came up in film school where you didn't fucking have to shoot on 16 if you didn't want to, did right. you? No. Well, I went to a really old school film school. So uh, while I didn't have to, most people did. And you got the sense from the professors that they very much preferred it and would want to do that. But there are certain skills, I mean, outside of, of understanding you know, how to really control aperture and how to uh, to, to really get the most out of your actors and how to, to think economically. Yeah. But like, you know, the, you know, editing 16 is useless. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, unless you're it, doing something. It absolutely is. And it's, but it's also how I learned. So I have. That's my, how you learned how to put things together. I'm a flatbed editor cutting 16 millimeter. Yeah. Because I thought just the tone of it, you know, the amount, like, it's not that you have to forgive anything, but you, you, you realize, like, when, if, even when I watch the, um, even Drinking Buddies, which is not shot on film. No, it's shot on video. Of course. Right? Yeah. So, and, and even the one with, uh, that I just watched with Jane, Jane Adams. Uh-huh. Right? All the Light in the Sky. It's a great movie. Oh, thanks, man. You like that movie? I, I'm very proud of it. Yeah. I like but, it like, what you can do with a camera just with the ocean, which you, what you had to do. You could not have done with 16. Right. Ever. So there's your context. You know, everything's saturated a certain way. Yeah. But it does have that feeling of like, you know, like when I was younger, it's like, I'm watching a movie. Yeah. You know, I like know. you you can't manufacture it that. It has feel. that for me too. It's a really, it's the second it hits the screen, chemically your body feels different. <laughs> right. You're like I'm looking at <laughs> something is, shot on film. This is a film. Yeah, I know. So, So making that choice, where did that come from? It came from a fear that it was going to go away. I mean, I, I, having gone to film school and done work on film and then sort of spent 10 years making movies on video, I always told myself, well, I'll get back to film. You know, like that's once it's an option again, it'll sort of be on the table. 
And it just kept becoming less and less of an option. I mean, even if you have a little bit of money, nobody wants you to shoot on film anymore. You know, studio movies are not shooting on film anymore, even though that line item would be a tiny one in the right. general budget. They're still like, why would we even spend an extra $70,000 that we don't have to spend? And so I got very afraid that I might go the rest of my career and never make a film, a real film. And so, so I just up to decided Happy to do this, it. You hadn't done a feature on 16? No. That was your first feature yeah. on film. Yeah. How was it for you? Great. Really a nice experience. I just, the economy of it must really raise the stakes for everybody. I noticed it uh, <laughs> in a very positive way. Because you're working with actresses that have probably never shot on film. Most of them <laughs> hadn't, I don't think. Melanie Linsky, who's a genius. Yeah. Uh, Anna Kendrick and and just this there's this this idea that like in the world that they grew up in it's sort of like we can do as many takes as the day will allow yeah because it costs nothing yeah yeah maybe like very early in their careers they had done indies student on film, film but right. it, I bet it had been like a decade at least for all of us since and, and you felt that do you have, did you have to have a conversation about that it was a part of how I talked about the movie I mean I I let them know that that was going to be a priority that it was important to me to do this one on film and that we you know that was going to be where a lot of the money was going to go and that we were just going to make that choice but but you know if you work completely improvisationally yeah so it's a it's a yeah. gamble. Well, we budgeted a four to one shooting ratio, which meant we four takes was the most we could do. And you stuck by that? We came in under, actually. Huh. Yeah. Because you just let it roll. Uh yeah. Bit. We we did that and also I'm my own editor. So when I when I like something and I know I'm gonna use it, I don't need coverage then after that. You know, we don't need to beat around the bush and say, like, well, just as a safety net, let's go ahead and shoot this and this and this. Because I, it's my movie. Right. I, that take was great. I'm going to use that take. I'm not going to give myself a note later that I want to cut to an insert shot. So let's not shoot the insert shot. Well, it's interesting that you know that that's a confidence of a of a, a creative person that comes from having made 17 movies already too. You know, I mean, I you get I, a feel for it, and you're also yeah. acting in it. Yeah. You know, I know like I'm my you know CK is a friend of mine, and he has that same sort of. You have to have that kind of weird creative fortitude. To you know, to direct your own your own yeah, movies, and yeah. then to cut them, and then to be in them, yeah, you yeah. you you can't yeah. you can't have that thing you're talking about, right. the need for love. Like yeah, I don't know yeah. how everyone else feel. I'm yeah, not, I know someone's got to drive, right? So, but but it's interesting to me with with Happy Christmas that it wasn't you knew the story, right? So yeah. in your mind when you set out, that was a pretty specific story. This this girl comes in, she's her sister, she's got her own problems. And that character was pretty amazing. What I was about to say before was that no matter what age you are, uh, but I, you know, I'm only 51, so I grew up post 60s or whatever. There's there there's always that strange, entitled, kind of like troubled, substance wise, but you know, not sure what she wants yeah. to do with her. Like it's it's a I recognized her. Yeah, like it's been around for a while. I don't yeah. think it would have been around in the 40s in the same way. But there's there that character. And she's really the the pivotal thing, the the changer. And you hate her in a, a bit. Yeah. Not hate her, but sort of like, oh, fuck. For sure. I hope. But why, how did you construct that story? I mean, I understand that you had your it's wife. coming out of really personal stuff. Also, my younger brother, James, who was not nearly as bad in real life as Anna's character is in the movie, but my younger brother, James, had come and lived with us after we bought the house. Uh -huh. And... You know, you reach a certain age where you just, it's hard to have people in your space for a long period of even time. Even if they're your family. Yeah, even if they're your family and even if they're great and even if they're helping out, you sort of, 
you get used to a level of privacy and a level of uh, autonomy. And then suddenly, you know, he was living in the basement. That basement is where my wife and I hang out. It's where our, the only TV in the house is down in that basement. It's sort of where we go if we just want to like catch up on a movie or right. show. And he was down there. So even just by being there, he was in the way, even if he was the politest, best house guest ever, you know? And, and you feel like you have to do it because he's family. I wanted to do it. And also, like, you know, he had gone to school in Lexington, Kentucky. He was ready to move, you know, out of the college town and move to the city. I thought that that was a good idea. So I was happy to be able to be helpful. It's nice to be an older brother and be in a position to help if yeah. somebody asks. Right. And so, you know, all of it was great. I mean, it was really nice to have him with us. And, and uh, you know, he has a weird relationship to the movie because... It he really knows. makes it look like he was a fucking mess who, like, you know, really That's... fucked our house up. But he wasn't. Uh, you had to explain that to him? Uh, we've talked about it a couple times, but, you know, he wasn't the best house guest ever either. But yeah, but he's your brother. What well, you and do? he's my younger brother, too, yeah, and I right. try and be generous to younger But it's people. interesting, though, because I've had to deal with that with my father and stuff because of the TV show, like, where you're like, that, well, you threw me under the bus. I'm yeah. like, no one knows that but me and you. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? But you can't explain that to somebody. It's like, no no one's going to make an assumption. It's a very tricky thing if you're going to use your real life in your art. Before I get away from this, the one thing I've noticed in watching the films is how deeply the expectation, narrative expectations of films are plowed into us almost like as old as, as from when we're children. For sure. So it's very interesting to watch your movies. Like, even when I was watching Happy Christmas, you're sort of waiting like, something's going to get bad. <laughs> this shit, just, something's going to go down, man. Like, yeah. is she going to get in a car accident? Yeah. Yeah. Like, But yeah. the big turn was she, like, when she burnt a pizza. Yeah, yeah. And, and that was, like, that was a moment. Yeah. And even in uh, in the stars, what is it, the sky? What's All the light in the sky. All the light in the sky. Yeah. Do, do you know what the biggest moment in that, in that like, the most, like, jarring moment was for uh, you? Yeah. I mean that big conversation she has with uh, with Larry Fessenden in the movie where he does the Jack Nicholson impersonation. That was to great. To me, feels like the crux. That's like my big climactic moment is two people on a couch talking for twenty. I minutes. thought that the, the the most powerful moment in that fucking movie was when that coat rack came off the wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's my action scene. That was it. Yeah, but it was yeah. satisfying. Yeah. I couldn't believe yeah. it. Like after she leaves yeah. like that, yeah. Yeah. and then yeah. that thing just goes clunk, and I'm like, oh. Yeah. That's that's the yeah. uh, that's the end of the second act. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> that's really funny. Yeah, that's my sense of humor. I mean, that coat rack coming off the wall to me is the funniest thing I could do in that. That's so totally my sense of humor. Like, but it's also very telling, and it's like even because you're working improvisationally and you're hanging this stuff on a loose story that's based on emotion. Yeah, that to to find those things that hang your narrative on literally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's sort of the trick of 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 making movies the way you do. Yeah. And it's got you either people are going to feel it or they're not. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would say even that there is just like uh, you're already in a very small pool of people that are even capable of feeling it. And then some of them are going to feel it and some of them are not. It's interesting because like for me, it's like it brings me back to a different time where, you know, where I was studying film in college and, you know, you had to be hyper attentive and patient and, and try to like, you know, someone has told you that this is the good stuff. And then you just got to sit there, you know, watching St. Joan, you know, going like, yeah. what am I doing? Like Red Desert, mm -hmm. Antonio, and you're mm -hmm. like, I can't, what, why, what am I missing? Yeah. 
And it's like you can't be so hard on yourself. Yeah, it's it's I, I, you know I'm like the kind of person that automatically bristles when somebody tells me something's genius. You know, like like no, yeah, yeah this yeah. is a masterpiece. That's a terror. And then I like fold my arms and I'm like, all right, prove it. But but now you're in I'm film school, right? In. Yeah. But so like you got or there's something. I mean, like some of your stuff is kind of Godardian, definitely. I mean, like that. Some stuff like his his playfulness with editing is like for sure always been a big influence. Yeah, but even like I kind of got the feeling watching Silver Bullet when she's playing with the gun in the mirror that was almost an homage in a way. Yeah, that stuff. uh, It's funny how that stuff filters through. Like you know, I sort of landed upon the way that I work uh, specifically to avoid. Uh, references. I feel like I went, you know, like I, I was in high school when Pulp Fiction came out and I feel like that was, that changed everything. Yeah. There was then a period of like three or four years where every movie that came out was just a knockoff of Pulp Fiction, it felt like. Right. Everyone was just trying to do that thing. To, a knockoff of knocking off movies. Yeah, exactly. A knockoff <laughs> like, of well, pastiche. A knockoff. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, it was like a really, that was the time period where I was falling in love with movies. And so I, I had like, had to go outside of that stuff because it, it just got so similar. Well, where'd you go? I mean, I, I worked in a video store and so, and we had the ability to order movies for the store. So, you know, we were, I was just like trying to watch a lot of documentaries, a lot of foreign films, mm-hmm. uh, even a lot of like exploitation trash. I mean, I definitely was into trauma, mo- you know, I was just like sort of trying to dip my toes in all the waters to see what was registering and also what was achievable. Trauma movies. Definitely. Yeah. But you did, like, did you make horror movies early on? No, but I probably thought I would. I mean, I, I was drawn to them. I was drawn to the ability to do them on a low budget. They felt achievable to Well, you me. kind of pulled that out. You kind of d- dealt with it in Silver Bullet. Definitely. As that, early as you needed yeah, to. That's like, uh, yeah, as horror movie, as as like my interests would allow me to get probably well it gets like but uh but okay, but what about cassavetes no yeah cassavetes only via osmosis like i've never really seen cassavetes movies but i'm was influenced by the people who were influenced by cassavetes so i'm who would uh, they be uh anybody who was like an 80s or 90s american independent filmmaker everyone right i mean he's the godfather right like he sort of changed the game and then like in one way or another everybody who has the gall to pick up a camera and go with their friends and say we're going to make a movie is influenced by cassavetes right so like while he's not for me a direct influence and in a way now it's like uh those movies have become uh holy because i know that i'll like them when i finally see them so i've 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 sort of been waiting for the perfect circumstance like I, i'm kind of waiting for a cassavetes retrospective where i can just go get, and watch them all in a week just get the criterion box well i, I want to see it. them in a movie theater for the first time okay i'm all waiting right. for that make maybe you should build a theater <laughs> Maybe you should, why don't you, why don't you... I could talk to maybe, like, uh, somebody you, and just see if When you're in Chicago, go curate a... Yeah, that's a good idea, actually. Why don't you curate something, like, movies I haven't seen yeah. but I want to see. Yeah, that's a good idea, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, shit I've been meaning to watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea, man. I you might do, do that. You should do it. I might do that. And you get to watch it for the first yeah. time get in the theater. Get prints of it and... Yeah. 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 That'd be fucking awesome. I like it. I think I've always... The celebration, yeah. that film, Thomas Vinterberg's movie, yeah, it's amazing. That that's it's what is that? Yeah, I saw that in film school. That was a big one because that. I mean, what's great about movies like The Celebration is you no longer have permission not to go make a movie because you look at it and you're like, it didn't cost much money. 
it's all it is is really compelling performances and a really compelling story. Like now you now you have no excuses. You have to if you think you have the stuff, now go prove it. That movie did that for you. For sure. All those dogma films were really important to me. Yeah. Because like what I love about Lars von Trier and and those early dogma guys was they they for at a very important time in my life, they took all of the emphasis off of production design and slickness, yeah. which is the one thing you can't do right in film school. You right. can't do that. Right. You you have to have a lot of money and be working with really good people. And also that changes all the time. Like our idea of what's slick and expensive looking shifts every couple of years. So even if you got good at one thing, you'd be out of touch by the time you like could put the resources together to fake it, mm-hmm. you know? And like, so by taking the emphasis a hundred percent off of that, and by actually by calling that stuff bullshit, and saying the only thing that matters is actors and a handheld camera and a story, yeah. I was like, "Ooh, yes! <laughs> now like, I can work. Now I now there's a context for the work. Yeah. Even yeah, precedent has been set. Yeah, like a guy who did the other thing really well just said that the other thing is bullshit. Yeah, yes, yes, yeah. It's, and it's, I was so liberated to yeah. just like get out of film school, grab my friends, grab a video camera, and just make a movie. But but it also seems like you know you'll make a movie sort of at the drop of a hat. If I meet a cool actor or there's a cool idea that like enters the ether and I feel like I can like snatch it and go do it, I'll go do it. Well, what about the 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 thing where you obviously shot uh, some of uh, the the Sky movie and Silver Bullet simultaneously, or you had leftover footage? Sever- or- several of them simultaneously. There was a period of time where I was working on, uh, I think four movies at once that had a lot of the same actors in them and there was just like a ton of overlap and there's certain people it seems that can do what you want them to do and certain people that probably couldn't when i meet like, people who can do it i hold on to them very tightly well, like anna and melanie and jane for yeah, sure for sure that dude who was in the the sky movie uh larry jack fessenden. nicholson guy yeah, larry fessenden who's yeah. also a director whose work i really like yeah and i liked the, the other g- kid too the one she slept with i like him uh, too. ty west he's been in some Yo, other kent movie. osborne yeah 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 for sure yeah. yeah those guys if you look at my movie kent osborne's in almost everything i've ever made like he's like uh i can't <laughs> i get an idea and then i'm like well kent would be perfect yeah for that but this is also familiar to you. These are pe- these are types of people that you kind of know in your life. Like they're yeah. familiar to me. They're they are creative people. Like there's a there's a in the world of where creative people work when they're not being creative and and also how they carry themselves. Yeah. Whether they've turned their back on their creativity or not. Yeah. There's a certain community to that. Definitely. You, you know what I mean? If they're not if they're not actually you know actualizing creativity, they're 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 a brewer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Definitely. It's a it, it's all very familiar to me, but in Silver Bullet, like there's some real kind of like, and not that you mean to reference it, but you know the fact that you know she's playing with a gun and he's behind her. Oh, definitely it. that 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 is a reference. I mean, that's that's like taking the whole history of movies into account. There. Yeah, okay. Like that's a scene from a movie, right? Purposefully, yeah. yeah okay, yeah. all right. So uh, it wasn't. You're not lying to yourself. Yeah. Right? No, no, no. Just filtered in. I'm like yeah, Kubrick. Dude, I, I, I just like, man. I don't even ever think of anything. Like I haven't even watched did any you, movies. Did I you just, watch? <laughs> I just wanted to be pure, man. Did you watch that documentary about the uh, The Shining? Yeah, what? I I had a really good time with that. Me movie. too. It's really fun. But the the only thing that was interesting to me was the one guy who said that you know that he was such a a, a deep intellectual that he might not have had any clue mm-hmm. that he was a, a vessel. Mm-hmm. For these layers of 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 uh, conspiracy theories of significance uh, uh, yeah, of symbolic yeah, significance yeah, of yeah. of semiotics, yeah, 
you know, because, you know, once you get hung up on that, what was it, the flour or the, the box of um, yeah. Calumet? Yeah. What, or the coffee something. can that's right, like turned right. a certain way or whatever. Well, right. It's yeah. like you have a really hard time believing like Kubrick's yeah. like, you know, we're going <laughs> to, yeah. because Hold of on, the I Indians. Adjust that. Yeah. But, but somebody did. Sure. But your movies are not loaded up the same way. Not at all. I mean, I'm hoping that my, I, you know, it's really, uh, it's a lot of it's accidental. I mean, I'm trying to create an environment on set where accidents can happen because I, m- like, my feeling is that you only innovate by accident, that nobody's smart enough to have a new idea that just like takes things into a new realm. Or it doesn't feel somehow, so constructed. Yeah. Somehow there's like a limitation that forces you to solve a problem in a new way. And that for me was always kind of the guiding light was let's put ourselves in a situation where we don't know what's going to happen, where I don't. I have to follow the action the way a documentary camera person would have to follow a real life event. Like I'm not setting marks where you start here and you have to walk over there. I'm just saying, do it. And then I'll try and capture it. And by not capturing it, then I'll have to figure out how to edit the scene in a cohesive way. And then I might accidentally do something interesting or several interesting things. Um, That's that changes based on the movie. Like obviously with drinking buddies, uh, there was a level of improvisation and, uh, and sort of a space where accidents could happen within the context of uh, stronger narrative and better lighting, right. let's say, or right. something like that. And right. once you introduce better lighting, you you sometimes have to set marks. You know, things change. Things start to change. Uh, <laughs> show business, man. Show business, baby. <laughs> you now you're making a movie. <laughs> and so in a way, I have more recently embraced uh movies the way movies are made because i did so many things outside of the bounds of how movies are made and i also got to a point where uh i wasn't creating situations where accidents were happening anymore i was like too familiar with all those scenarios i well, you weren't scripting dialogue film yeah so i still wasn't scripting dialogue but i was like uh I don't know. It just wasn't feeling chaotic the way it maybe did on the early movies. And I was like, you know what? I've become a director. I've, I've, so you're okay with it. Yeah. And now I'm like trying to do that for a period of time just to like see if I can get good at that thing too. Well, th- well, it sounds to me what you were doing with once you were uh, freed by dogma films yeah. in terms of process was you were like, all right, so, you know, I'm going to treat this organically. Yeah, because I have the freedom to do that and I have the equipment and it doesn't cost me a lot to treat this as, as an organic process where surprises can happen. I can learn about myself through structuring these loose narratives to see how people engage emotionally. Yeah. And I can put myself in it and 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 take the parts of myself that maybe are not that high quality people stuff. Yeah. And resolve because like in Silver Bullet I mean, the stuff that you were dealing with in that character that you played was too. There was some. There was too real. Some of that pettiness, jealousy, but just the, the hilarious. But yeah, that stuff, like straight up artist kind of stuff. Maybe it's not the kind of artist you are, but it's well, got, it, it is for well, sure. I'm no, playing myself in that. I movie. know, I mean, but the funniest thing is, is that in every scene, you're way into that overly large book. Yeah, that like yeah, that you're yeah. always reading this book and it's like got 500 pages <laughs> yeah. and you're well into it yeah. and never once did I think that you had read 
the other 400 pages yeah. necessarily. Yeah. But you're sitting there going like, you know, having this discussion about form. Yeah. Because you're so insecure yeah. and you're trying to yeah. uh, to yeah. act like you know more than yeah. you do. Yeah. But I thought it was hilarious that that book was always like right. Yeah. That, that yeah. The answer because yeah. I've been that guy. It's like it's in here. This is the book. Yeah. What book was that? That was the complete plays of Chekhov. <laughs> was it important to you at the time? Well, we were basing Silver Bullets off of the Seagull, so we we had like stolen some character. Uh, types from that play. I, should, I wouldn't have known that because I'm not that much of an intellectual. I'm, nor am I. I mean, Jane Adams turned me on to The Seagull when we started the mm -hmm. process of doing Silver Bullets. She was like, you should read The Seagull. It might be useful. And it was super useful. But like the stuff you were doing with color and with video and then, you know, uh, like some of that stuff was shot on 16, the horror stuff, was it? or just Super 8. Super 8 yeah. even. So, but like to make decisions about you know, montages like the ones you did in that, I mean, that was like fucking, you know, like um, Stan Brackage? Yeah. It was yeah. straight up Brackage shit. Well, definitely. The film school I went to, Brackage was a really important person because, there. Because, like, the, you know, to take in Brackage at that time, when, when I went to a Brackage festival, I'm like, okay, yeah. I'm going to, I got to, you, you had to, like, I had to sit there and go, like, I, okay, I like Mark Rothko. I understand. I had to make this transition. Yeah. To, to understand that, like, film can do this. Yeah. It may not be everyone's idea of a night out. Yeah. But you can do it. Yeah. But I felt like some of that stuff in there, to have the confidence to, to string those kind of images together and, and that kind of movement and those kind of colors, specifically for a poetic effect, is is ballsy. And uh, not and not many people are doing it. It's not very valued right now, culturally. <laughs> I mean, that's why a lot of people aren't doing it. Well, I don't know if it, it was ever have... valued except in the world that it yeah, was maybe valued not. in. Maybe you're right. I might be like always a little esoteric. nostalgic and, and like... Well, you're, you're film school nostalgic. Yeah. Maybe. Because, you know, those yeah. guys were it fighting... It was valued in film school. Yeah, yeah. And because those sure. guys were fighting exactly what, you know, you were fighting initially, which is that, you know, to think that, that everyone's hacking on Tarantino, hacking on other things, and then the idea of production value. I mean, people like Godard and Brackage to an extreme were saying like, fuck all that. Yeah. Let's bring it back to high art. Yeah. You know what I mean? Even yeah. like they were turning their back on everybody on Wells. They didn't fucking. Yeah. Yeah. It's all garbage. Yeah. I can just put pink up for two minutes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's tough to sift through which of that stuff is uh, legitimate and which of that stuff is laziness. It's hard. I mean, in film school, that was a big challenge for me with somebody like because you, you could you could be the character in that movie and be full of shit. Very easy to just look at that stuff and say this is lazy bullshit. Anyone could do this and then like, defend it. We, like why do know. we think this guy's so great? Right, but but you as an artist, then like you can do that and rationalize it, like you know, like this is your vision. But the difference between you and the, the reason that I'm talking to you at all is that there's a tremendous difference between you know, like an established abstract artist, and then a guy who just says like anyone can do that. I agree with you. Of course. I mean, if that wasn't true, we'd all be in trouble. <laughs> we'd be s surrounded by, you know, undecipherable garbage. Uh, yeah, but, you know, frauds slip through the system all the time. For a little while. For And and sometimes are so established that forever they do. But, I mean, but if they're made, I, but that, here's what I'll say. But then you're getting it's in. very dangerous to just accept that somebody's great. It's very dangerous because you you always should investigate as an artist. You as always an artist, should decide that you like Brackage. You shouldn't just assume you like right, Brackage. Right, but as an artist, see, that's the difference. See, like a fraud can exist in a world. If that fraud is making money for somebody else, who gives a fuck if he's a fraud? It's a I different, see what you're saying. It's a different context. Yeah. 
But, you know, if you're going to talk specifically in the context of art, then there's different parameters and there's and then the inside struggle in between artists and justifying that and the critics that need to justify yeah. it or establish it. Yeah. Out in the fraud world. Hey, the guy made a million dollars for us last year. Yeah. So, OK, he's a fraud. Yeah. But, you know, he's probably going to make two next year. Um, but there becomes a system. I mean, I don't know if, if you have this feeling when you watch movies, but there at, at this point in time there is a kind of a movie that wins academy awards right like sure. it's not a that's politics all fucking politics well i totally agree but when i was a kid that kind of movie also was the kind of movie that felt like the best movie to yeah. me right yeah. the older i get and the more uh, the more i make of my own stuff and the more i see of other people's stuff uh the less those worlds seem to overlap right so there's like yeah. the marketing machine that decides that like you know uh David O. Russell, Martin Scorsese, Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, David Fincher, these guys, like, okay, these guys make important awardsy movies. Everything they make Colin is going to be marketed and pushed through that system, aimed at those release dates, aimed at winning those Oscars. And then, like, sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. But it's all, you know, it's all sort of like belongs to that world. Well, but, that, but you know, fortunately, out of that list, you know, which is one list, yeah, not tremendously schlocky. I totally agree. They're all amazing artists. Because there's, there's a schlock component, too, to some of that. So those movies come out, and they sort of are pushed through the system as as the important arty awards movies, right? But, like, I saw that movie, The Conjuring, that James Wan movie. I think that movie's a masterpiece. That movie's never going to be nominated for an Oscar. They're closed off to it before it even exists. I, don't, I didn't right? see it. Was it good? I think it's amazing, man. It's a really... Uh, to me, the best crafted and best, uh, for certain people, the best acted movie of the year. Like Lily Taylor's performance in The Conjuring is certainly better than anyone who won an Oscar last year, right? But because it's a horror movie directed by James Wan, that avenue was never open to it from inception. They weren't and playing that, the game. That they... bothers me. Right. Right? That right. we've, that, that like, it's so much just a part of the, how the industry markets stuff that uh, certain movies are eligible for awards and other movies never will be. And right. they're not looking at the level of quality. They're just looking at, like, is it that kind of movie or Does not? Does it that honor the system yes. that we put into place? But, but and you... I think that that's why it's dangerous and that's why it's like you always have to investigate and decide for yourself if you even think a certain filmmaker is any good. Yeah. Let alone a, a master. Right. But a lot of times, like, um, sadly, like you said, they may not be frauds, but oh, they sure, might. But sure, they sure, might sure. not be. Well, great. if you can make a movie that consistently makes a lot of money, that's very hard to do. They're not. I don't consider those people frauds. Right. Actually, I think uh, these days my suspicion is that it's easy. It's easier to fraudulently sneak into the important, serious art world world of things than it is the commercial world of things, because the commercial world of things. It either works or it doesn't. Yeah, it makes money or it doesn't. There's a million shades sure. of gray in the art but it, world but of it, Right, so. exactly. In, in the in independent cinema and yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah, there can be some real, some garbage. Yeah, some garbage that like still has a place and still some, like yeah, you're because blowing you're, smoke up that person's right, ass. And, right, but you have like, uh, like I, I've decided somehow or another that, you, you know, you're the only guy I know that's like, you know, making these art movies in a way that, is poetic and and requires a sort of openness to allowing the thing to to not give you what you want yeah <laughs> you know? yeah 
and 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 reckon with it. I'm asking a lot of the audience. I'm asking them to participate in that with me. <laughs> yeah, which is uh, it's a big ask, and all, you know, as I've gotten older, it's an even bigger. I'm realizing what a big ask it is because I. Uh, I don't get to the movies as often as I used to. You know, it's uh, it's a bigger deal for me to go to make the time to go to a movie theater and see a movie. And so, uh, I think when I was younger, I took it for granted, and I I made some uh, lazy choices because I I didn't uh, feel the responsibility that I feel now towards the audience. Well, okay. So now, as you're shifting, as you you know, you went to film school, and then you decided to to actually take advantage through you know your compulsion and desire to figure out some things about the medium and about yourself and you've had the, all this experience that you've done on your own terms completely um what crossroads are you at i mean how do you not end up becoming a college professor <laughs> um that's been an easy choice not to make because it i wouldn't be able to make enough stuff if i was a college professor uh, because, but you know what I'm saying, though, yeah, like because yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you have an integrity that you're, you know, that there's some part of you, like you know, I know your cohorts, I know Duplass, yeah, I know, I you know, I know Evelyn Shelton, yeah, I know of people that that come out of a, a real sort of like scrapper indie, yeah, uh, ideal, but but you have a commitment to a vision. It, it seemed that some of them were sort of like, well, I'm going to find my place in this machine here, yeah. Like you're in Chicago. Yeah. You don't see, you just bought a house in Chicago. Yeah. You're not like, I'm coming to LA tomorrow. Yeah. So what's the plan, Joe? The plan is uh, to have as much ownership as possible in my own work so that when that work does well, I benefit from it. And the plan is to uh, just always work with really talented, good people. And I think that that, the plan doesn't have to be a lot more complicated than that because it's always going to make me wake up in the morning excited to go do it. If I'm around people who are stimulating, who are challenging me, but who are good people, like I can't, I just can't deal with a ton of bullshit. And like, I am really bad creatively when I'm around people who, uh, are insecure or who are like mean or, you know, like all those sort of things. So I'm like sort of sniffing around and just like, I have my antenna up and I'm just looking for people. Like I found Anna Kendrick, right? She's somebody who I hope to make 70 movies with. Like we get it together. And like the thing that we can do, we can do in the most economical, efficient way possible because there's no wasted time. There's no bullshit. There's no like that. I have to like, send the offer in the certain way and take her out to dinner and yeah. then like send you know send roses on the first day of shooting and whatever she's like let's go make a good movie and that's all we have to worry about right now i'm not gonna like make a thing of it yeah and and jake johnson is like that olivia wilde's like that ron livingston's like that like those people that i worked with on drinking buddies you i promise you you will see them a lot yeah throughout the rest of my career and it, and within the context of that uh, if the doors to doing like bigger movies, like a studio movie or something, for instance, opens, my guess is it will open in the context of doing a studio movie with Anna or doing a studio movie with Olivia or doing a studio movie with Jake. And then we'll go do our thing with different resources, with a bigger crew, with whatever. But, but in my heart, I'll still be going to work with Anna. I but mean, here's my question. Yeah. Is that, you know, then all of a sudden 
the 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 collaboration becomes much broader and much bigger. In I've the never sense. done it. Yeah, right. I, I, mean, I, I, that, I assume, but th- then you're going to have to deal with that that the horrible menace of sure, production value. Sure, sure. And set yeah. deck. Yeah. And yeah. and you know construction. Yeah. Hmm. Totally. <laughs> but I mean, this could be. We should like. Uh, you know, we'll follow up in like two okay. years and see if I've done a studio movie and if I like am back in Chicago, like licking my wounds or something. But um, I love a lot of big budget movies, truly love them, yeah. like The Conjuring, right? This horror movie that I'm talking about. I haven't made a movie that's as good as that one that mm-hmm. I love, you know, that's like sort of like my movies I love. I'm so proud of them. And they're doing a thing that The Conjuring's not doing. But The Conjuring's doing a thing that's really cool and fun. And it's very, very exciting for me to maybe also do that thing. Right? And the other thing that's exciting to me is I don't know that I'm good at that thing. But it would be fun to get good at that thing just because it's another, like, skill set to, like, tuck in your toolbox. Well, but I think the thing you have going for you is uh, is a, a confidence in... At the very least, editing, and at the very least, getting amazing performances out of people, I, and also I, the capacity to collaborate. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, the way that I look at the work that I've done with actors is like not getting amazing performances out of people. It's allowing people to give amazing performances. Like they've got the stuff, right? And like as long, like I'm good at getting out of the way, yeah, and letting the stuff just shine through. Well, a lot of times you're acting, yeah. That's right. You're good at that. Well, thanks, man. I like doing it. It's fun for me. Um, I hope you can keep this disposition. I want to. I want to talk to you in two years just to see if, like, if anything is yeah. sort of like what could happen. What do you falling? think could happen? What do I think could happen? I, like, I could die a little bit inside, or what do you mean? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's a that that's sort of a uh, that's a, a a trope. I think what happens is you have to negotiate. Yeah. And and you have to negotiate vision sometimes. Yeah. Even if even if it's not because of power reasons, you know, it might be the right thing to do. And I think having never had an experience with that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you die inside, but it. I think it's it, it's it's a painful process. Yeah. And what 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 can you be more specific? Like it sounds like what you're saying is it's a painful process to acknowledge that somebody else might be right or more right than you are. Yeah, and also that you might have to, you know, not do it exactly the way that you wanted to do yes, it. Yes, totally. And and that, you know, there are actually people that might know better. Totally. And, and this sounds very exciting. This kind of pain sounds very exciting to me though, good, actually. Good, like good. if I can do that with smart people who actually are right, it sounds most painful if they're wrong and you and they like you get you have to compromise and then it doesn't work. Right. And that sounds very painful to me. Where it's like, fuck, I trusted you and you fucked me. And now the movie's bad because I listened to you. Or well, because also, you had the power to just do it. Well you that well that happens. It. See, that's the other part of it, is that when there's larger stakes yeah. and there's more power involved, yeah. then you know, you're gonna be the guy that gets thrown under the bus. Yeah. So yeah, it all gets tricky. Yeah. But I think what what you've done for yourself ultimately and your real passion is is to make films the way you want to make them and to experience the organic connection of the process and, and the event itself outside of the movie, you know, has as much significance yeah to you yeah so like the weird thing about that is is that you know if you get beat up a little bit you could just go back and make your movies that's how i feel about it (laughs) that's why i'm even uh 
entertaining the idea. But believe me, like I know whatever's going on for me now that at the end yeah. of the day I can come do this. <laughs> yeah, right. It's, it's great. Leave me in my garage. It? I'll talk to you. Uh, tell me about it, man. But it's you know, very nice to have that. Yeah, you just don't want to get heartbroken. That's a. I think that you know, and there's no way to avoid it. But yeah, I think that if you have a good head on your shoulders and you have things in perspective, which you seem to have, you know, you can, you know, yeah, man, you can kind of relegate the the risk. You know, it's yeah. not like anyone's going to ask you to direct a superhero. That's movie. right. That's right. But not yet. Yeah, not yet. Nor do I want to. So, so like everything right now is pretty cool. Like the stuff that I'm reading that's written by other people that could be bigger movies is in superhero stuff. It's mostly like the smartest, cool stuff. I mean, George Clooney has consistently made really good, smart movies. I mean, he doesn't seem to fuck around and just like do dumb shit. They're almost all good. Yeah, and he seems like a pretty good guy. You can talk to Anna about him. He seems like a great guy. Yeah, she had a really good experience working with him. Yeah, man. Definitely. Yeah, so did uh, Danny McBride. You know, like these guys. Yeah. So you you come out here to LA and, you know, why would you come to LA? What's happening? Well, I come to L.A. because I have uh, business out here now. You know, like I work, I come out here to work. I actually live in Chicago to like live. You're in the movie business. I am in the movie business. I actually am like, I make a living from my movies. And so I come out here to work. How do you make a living from your movies? Well, it's come in various channels. My earlier movies are starting to bring me some money now because they are getting distribution in other countries you know, some of them are seven and eight years old, but uh, if the Sundance channel, you know, like had success with Drinking Buddies, then they're like, oh, this guy has other movies we've never aired on the Sundance channel. Let's license these for a small amount of money. So that stuff is like from the old stuff's kind of starting to trickle in. And then I am developing a movie for Fox Searchlight. So I got paid money to write that, which is part of how I'm living right yeah. now. And then I make money when I sell my movies. So Is that a movie on your terms for Fox Searchlight? Definitely. I'm, I pitched them an idea and they liked it. Okay. So, yeah. And you do you hang out with the other uh, young guns like the Duplass boys? And uh, I see them sometimes. I, I you know, I, I'm. We they're all, taking over Hollywood. They definitely are. I mean, it's amazing. It's <laughs> it's. Uh, they, uh, without knowing it, have been incredibly helpful to me. How so? Because uh, my stuff doesn't seem as crazy in a world where the Duplass brothers are really successful. And so they paved a way in the industry during the years where I was so resistant to the industry. uh, They were out here making these kinds of movies in the studio system. And now the studio system has context for these kinds of movies. And so, you know, when a movie like Drinking Buddies got seen by more people than we expected... Uh, it was a lot easier for me to come out here and say, this is the next thing I want to make and to have uh, agents want their actors to do it, to have distributors want to buy it and release it. And, you know, to a certain extent, uh, Lena Dunham's done that too. I mean, like... Oh, that's right. She was in Happy Christmas. She acted in Happy Christmas and like she and the Duplass brothers, uh, I would say, you know, have sort of been... uh, the biggest advocates for stuff outside the system, you know, even though like they're known now for making stuff within the system, they've given context for uh, the weirder stuff. And so like in a world where girls is on TV and where Jeff who lives at home opens in regular movie theaters, 
my stuff seems a little less weird. And that's, that's oddly a big difference in the last couple it's of years. It's interesting because like, it's almost a return to, you know, like for years, you know, even when you, you talk about like, uh, you know, David O. Russell or, or what, you know, or where Scorsese came from that this sort of highbrow kind of, um, you know, intellectual discussion around anything, yeah. Uh, you know, film wise or art wise became very insulated and kind of old guardish. Yeah. And I think that with people like you and with people like Lena, who I've talked to and Duplass, when he feels like talking about that, you know, and about, you know, you know what his place is and, and why the films he made uh, were important, that it's sort of coming back. Like there, there's a little more movement towards, you know, an, an actual kind of intellectual discussion about art yeah. and about what film is capable of. Yeah. And, and also I think that the business is broken open enough that really everybody can find their niche and, and, and in a way, especially if you've got talent and you've got friends and you're part of uh, a momentum, you know, that, you know, that justifies you, you know? Yeah. And also we, uh, even in my life, I've seen it go through waves and, and, you know, we happen to be in a wave right now where, uh, the studio system is, uh, uh, let's see, as risk averse as I've ever seen it in my life, right? Like they're only making movies that make complete sense and are almost guaranteed to succeed. Internationally. Yeah, for sure. It's a global industry now. Which means it's uh, the bar is low. The bar is low, but the bar is complicated. It's like a low bar that has a lot of twists and turns in it, and they know how to navigate that geniusly. But like I, for instance, they're can't making even amusement park rides. About it. They're making amusement park rides. I mean, on the bigger scale, they certainly are, definitely. Right. And uh, as somebody who likes to go to amusement parks, I also like to go to their amusement park rides sure. as often as I like to go to indie films. You right. know, it's like it's actually really fun for me to put on the 3D glasses and like drink a large sugary drink yeah, and yeah, like yeah. fucking kick back for yeah. two hours. Yeah. I dig it. Yeah, yeah. And so. You know, there's uh, that thing happening. And I think that what's what I've noticed happening is that that pool of actors that can do those kinds of movies is pretty small. Yeah. And unless you get absorbed up into it, uh, you know, you're kind of left these days if you're a really talented actor uh, with then like sort of slim pickings on like the other kind of stuff that they're making. And what that has done for me is meant that uh, a lot of really, really talented people have been willing to come out and do a small weird It's great. It's great. Yeah. It makes me very excited. It makes me feel like we're almost about to be in a really cool period of movies. Yeah. Where suddenly it's like, oh, holy shit. There was 15 great movies that came out this year. Yes. With great performances, like classic, amazing performances. Yeah. And it's because those people didn't get cast in the comic book movies that year. And they have enough money that they don't need to go to a job. And they want to work. And so they went and did something cool. Yeah, they want to do, they want to act. Yeah. Are you ever going to do like a large ensemble piece like an Altman movie? My new one is like that. Yeah? Yeah, this movie Digging for Fire that I'm finishing right now. Uh It's, there are new characters showing up all the way through the last couple minutes of the movie. Like just, uh, it's a sprawling sort of L.A movie with a lot of people, you shot it a here? lot of roles. I did shoot it here and we shot it on 35 millimeter. Really? I shot on film again. Yeah. Who, who funded that? Uh, I did partially. And then this group of Chicago investors that I work with and then Jake Johnson, the lead actor. 
Wow. Yeah. Well, well, shit, man. I wish you all the luck in the world. Thank you. I'll take it. And uh, and I and I I got to catch up with more of your movies. But I think we did all right with the knowledge I had. I'm surprised you've seen as many as you've seen. Really? Yeah. No, I love them. Thanks, man. Like I'm I'm telling people about them. That's really cool. That's nice. I like them too. But you know, it's like uh, getting older. I'm just like more every day. It's more and more clear why other people don't. I'm like I get why it's not, or it's not what you're looking for. Yeah, but, but I used to when I was young. I was so frustrated. But I was like, after, why don't you like it, man? It's like I'm trying these things. How can you not engage? Now that I'm a little older, I'm like, some days you're in the mood for it. Some days you just want something easy. Like I get it. That's right. And I've had to feel that way about my stand-up and stuff. It's like I can't. I never set out to make everybody happy. That's right. Like it, it, you can't do it totally. But if enough people are into it, it's sort of like, well, then I'm going to keep doing it. What? Because you the, you're up against that the the meaning thing and the fear of dying thing. Yeah. That there's some part of you that's always going to think like, well, I have to make the thing that impacts the world. Yeah. You know, and who's going to do that? I'm not Beyonce. It's an awful lot of pressure. It's an awful lot of pressure, but it's awful lot of compromise in a way. Right. You, you know what I mean? It's like because once you yeah. do that, yeah. then you're sort of like, boy, I hope he does it again. Yeah. And then you're like, I got to do it again. <laughs> yeah. And then like, if you don't do it again, you're like, you failed the world. Yeah. Like they didn't come see you in Sweden. Yeah. But you probably do all right in Sweden. <laughs> Thanks I for talking it. to me, man. Yeah. Great guy, right? I'm ba- I, I, I love that guy. And I love his movies. Uh, that was Joe Swanberg. Hope you dug that. Uh, I'm coming to you, if you forgot, from a hotel room in Rochester, New York. And I'm fine. I'm fine. I've got a crate of uh, mandarin oranges, and I'm eating them thinking that they will change something. Go to WTFPod.com for all your WTF Pod needs. Pick up the app. Get on the mailing list. Leave a comment if you want. We're going to have some new merch coming. Marination tour dates are up at WTFPod slash calendar. Uh, everything's looking good. I'm excited to get out there. These, uh, these, uh, these warm-up shows are going well. <laughs> um, what else can I tell you? Yeah, so the Trippany House shows at the uh, in Los Angeles at the Steve Allen Theater on March 31st. That's a Tuesday, and April 6th. That's a Monday. If you want to get in on that, um, what else? I hope I get better soon. I I like being. There's something about being sick that's relaxing, and there's something I, I enjoy about hearing my voice like this. But uh, my brain is not as good as it should be when it's sick. I mean, it's always a little sick, but not like sick from congestion. I hope you feel good. Okay? All right. Boomer lives! <laughs>